0: All right. So how are you doing today?
1: I'm well. How are you?
0: I am pretty excited. I haven't had the opportunity to speak with someone from HR. Oh. And I have some weird questions. Okay. Well, they're going to be weird for you. But for me, they're like, I really do need to know this stuff. Right? Okay. So um, I'm looking forward to it.
1: Um, We recently were working with a local nonprofit. They had called... Um, after a very emotional outburst in a company-wide meeting. There was screaming, there was crying, there was literal finger pointing. People were taking off their jackets in anger and kind of like stepping up to people like, what are you gonna do about it? And so they contacted me and she was like, this has gotten out of control. What?" what wow. am i going to do about this at the end of the day your leadership style so much influences how you have an impact on your employees lives and how you impact your employees creates the customer experience so if it's a tense toxic environment oftentimes the customers will feel that but if it's more fun loving and and casual exactly. and and excellent in the way that it performs with its policies and procedures, your your customers really get a, a good experience overall. And that's what excellent management does, is they know the motivating factors and the personality of the overall person, not just, are they good enough to get to work and how efficient can I push them today? I was recently on another podcast and he said that he would literally, as a young man, really um, before he found out what servant leadership was, he would push his people literally till tears. That's when he knew that he had gotten the most out of them is when they had finally broke. So I shared with their HR manager, hey, listen, someone comes to you and they have a concern or a frustration, certainly take the appointment, but you need to start the appointment with how are, What solution do you want to see when we get done with our time together? And if there's nothing that HR can do to help impact a solution, then you don't really need to be involved in the conversation. Um, He was acting more as a therapist than an HR manager.
0: My first um, interaction with servant leadership was in uh, in Napoleon Hill's Think and Grow Rich, which I think is from the 1930s. It's been around for a while what has not happened though is it's not highly publicized in my space at least i haven't heard much about i have to read that book to learn about servant leadership can you tell us about effective servant leadership practice if this is indeed your preferred way of leadership if it is actually when the clients walks in through the door or they call us on the phone or they send an email they can tell you know what this is a place that employees love to be? How do we create that kind of environment of culture? Hey guys, welcome to the Boardroom Podcast. Today is an exciting episode. It's the first time on the boardroom that we have someone from HR with us now. We can't start a company, we can't build something amazing, and we don't take care of our people. So today, Don Sipley is going to be helping us get our HR affairs in order. And some of us like myself really do need help with that. Dawn, how are you doing today?
1: I'm doing fantastic. Thank you so much for having me on. I look forward to learning a little bit more about you and sharing some of my insights.
0: Mm -hmm. Yes, and I look forward to our conversation as well. You know, we have a tradition here in the Boardroom Podcast where whenever we have a guest on, we like to ask them the same question. Um, Where is your favorite city?
1: Oh, gracious. I really love my my city that I'm in now in Sanford, Florida. Uh, we're one of the very few communities that have an uh, uh, airport, railway, waterway, um, a historic area, a downtown wow. area, a commercial area, mm-hmm. manufacturing district. We, we're the city that wow. has it all. So I really enjoy it a lot.
0: So Sa- Sanford, is it? Sanford, Florida. Florida. Well, wow, that's amazing has everything for real so imagine that you and i are friends we are in sanford we're walking down the street and while you and i are walking down the street one of my friends are approaching and i say you know what i'd like you to meet my friend so i say to my friend friend this is don don this is friend when my friend meets you who exactly is don simply that he's meeting at this time
1: Oh, gracious. Well, first off, I'm, I'm a mother and wife um, to to those in my household, and I'm able to uh, experience entrepreneurship in the just the funnest way. I started this company just hoping to feed my family. And now we have five employees, which just seems wild to me. Um, but I think at the heart of everything, I I'm an educator. I enjoy taking people through aha moments and helping them kind of realize their their dreams that way. So I, I think that's what what I would be if I had to just quickly describe myself as as an educator.
0: Cool. mom, wife, educator, yes. entrepreneur. <laughs> You've tied it all together because you love to educate. So I can imagine the kids are brilliant. They're doing well in school. But even more than that, I can only imagine that your company has thrived off the back of not only your personality and your ambition to do great things. Uh, What would you say are some of the, not just, I want to say personality traits, I want to go a little bit deeper. What would you say are some of the core values that you believe in as a person that has helped you to be so successful to date?
1: I think curiosity is really at the key of a lot of my success. I love um, discovering new ways to do things and um, different vehicles to to help each other. I don't always assume that I have the answer, even in my own area of expertise. Oftentimes, HR is really filled with a lot of gray area. So you really have to know what your core values are and, and how you want your company culture to be. Um, At the end of the day, your leadership style so much influences how you have an impact on your employees' lives and how you impact your employees creates the customer experience. So Mm -hmm. if it's a tense, toxic environment, oftentimes Mm -hmm. the customers will feel that. But if it's more fun loving and and casual and, and excellent in the way that it performs with its policies and procedures, you're you're customers really get a a good experience overall
0: i'm hearing a lot about um company culture and it's not just building company culture for yourself and employees but also for the customers and clients that you serve because they feed off of the energy in your business so how can we put together a positive work environment and not only company culture but just a way that when the clients walks in through the door are they call us on the phone or they send an email, they can tell that, you know what, this is a place that employees love to be. How do we create that kind of environment and culture?
1: I think accountability is really high up there in how we hold accountability. Everyone's gonna make mistakes or have different curiosities about things or the way that they, they do business. But holding them accountable when things aren't going well and doing that with kindness sets the bar really high for um, a great culture. Um, how you interact when you are, um, stressed, I think is really important sometimes, you know, not our best versions show up when we're stressed. So I'm very transparent with my team listen, nine times out of 10, I want to know how you are and what, how you've been doing and what's going on in your life. But when things get tense at work and things get hard, you'll see me shift from a, a friendly, curious person to more of a directive person. And I think by me sharing that before they ever experience that, they go, oh, she's not mad at me. She's just going into that, to that very direct mode of, of communication. And then lastly, when discipline is involved, um, just do it with kindness. There's no reason for name calling or belittling. Again, leading with that curiosity to be like, well, how did we get to the mistake? What was my role in not catching it sooner? Did they misunderstand the instructions? Did I pro- not provide clear instructions? Rather than why would you do this? How could you let this happen? And, and kind of put all of that on onto them and just kind of Loving them well and giving them the benefit of, of the doubt that, you know, maybe I didn't communicate something that I should have communicated as your leader. Because at the end of the day it rises and falls with, with leadership. And um, you know, the people on the front lines are really important and they're your eyes and ears of your organization.
0: The, the the part that stood out to me, so you mentioned three things. You said to be accountable and how you hold people accountable is important. You mentioned um, how you handle stress, and you also mentioned criticizing in public and how you go about correcting. All these points are really good, especially when you consider the book, um, How to Win Friends and Influence People by Dale Carnegie. That's um, some of the core principles involved. The thing that stuck out to me is where you mentioned how you handle stress, and you said that nine times out of 10, you're the curious, caring, you say loving person how are you how's your day how's the family did brian get um well after the flu stuff like that but one time out of 10 when something is going wrong and you need to be directive you need to be less emotional more logical as they would put it you can be that and it's not as it's not saying that you're mad at them you're just saying all right there's a problem this is what needs to be done to get the problem solved. Get X done, you get Y done. We're gonna come together and get Z done and we'll be all right. The reason why this speaks to me is because I had an incident the other day where a tree fell on the power line. I was just sharing this with um, Simeon. He was a previous guest that we had. He spoke about the same thing. And when the tree fell on the power line, I know that this could cause a fire. And It took the light out several times as well. And I was working for like three days, 16, 18 hours, like just going full swing. So I was really focused, really in the zone, not very emotional. And I just went out and I said to two people, you do this, you do this. And I left and they were not happy about it. And, you know, I thought about it and I realized that it's a communication situation because I was saying to them after I spoke to them and I said that for me, a problem came up that needed to be solved. I know the brevity, you know the brevity of it in that moment i just needed to have the problem solved and it wasn't something so serious that i personally needed to attend to it Mm -hmm. so i delegated Mm -hmm. i delegated but i did not delegate well and you know that caused bad blood so just hearing this right now in hindsight i can agree with you Mm -hmm. but i'd love for anyone listening to pay really close attention to what you're saying because this can be invaluable avoid the problem not solve it so Let's talk a little bit about communication because the way that we say things and what we say, very important. So yes. what are your thoughts on how to just be effective in that area? I mm. think
1: having a certain amount of, of emotional intelligence is important. Not assuming that you know why things are happening and just having clear communication um, I think the way that we write, so much of our communication is, is written. It's not always in person. So taking time to bring personality to an email and, and making it um, very conversational while still keeping the brevity about it. Because I, I don't need to read anything long. So I'm a big um, believer in just bullet points, you know, a, a friendly paragraph. This, these are the things that I need from you. And then um, a deadline, right? And, and so that kind of communication, you know, your classic who, what, where, when, how. In communication, it needs to happen for a reason. I had a meeting the other day with a client and they were finding that people were just coming to them constantly um, to express a frustration that they had. And it kind of turned into gossip and whining rather than problem solving. And so I shared with their HR manager, hey, listen, someone comes to you and they have a concern or a frustration, certainly take the appointment, but you need to start the appointment with how or what solution do you wanna see when we get done with our time together? And if there's nothing that HR can do to help impact a solution, then you don't really need to be involved in the conversation. Um, he was acting more as a therapist than an HR manager. And I know that that the well-being, emotional well-being of our employees is, is important, but at the same time, we need to separate like our feelings and, and how we're processing our feelings from the goals of the business. And in this organization, he had such an open-door policy and was just so friendly that people were just popping in, expressing themselves, taking up 45 minutes of their time, hugging them at the end, feeling better, and then leaving. Well, that can happen on occasion, certainly, but it had really gotten to this, this redundant level, that which was just burning up all of his time. So it's having like communication open up, open up that has this. a goal, right sometimes people just talk for, for talking's sake and a lot gets wasted. And then you cr- you almost create like your own deafness. Like you ever have that person that they really never have anything interesting to contribute towards the conversation. They're just always kind of talking about themselves. Having that level of emotional intelligence and really knowing what you're contributing to the conversation is important because you never want to be that boy that cried wolf, right? It's just them hollering again. They don't have no real problem, but their emotions are all twizzled up and that's not what we want you know we we want to process our emotions understand different points of view understand that that work is work work is hard we have to pay people to do something because no one will do it for free right that's business and it's challenging and so you know some companies they want to paint this perfect picture we're all a family and we love one another and you know and we take care of one another. But at the end of the day, work is still, it's a dutiful job, you know? And, and we have to, to stay clear with our communication on what our goals are and what the purpose of our communication is. A lot of times it gets a little lax and then you lose your efficiencies in the business.
0: That, that's powerful. You know what I especially love that you said? I especially love the part where you said that whenever I'm sending an email, I like to have a friendly introductory paragraph, bullet points, which is which are basically deliverables, X, right. Y, Z, M, N, O, get these things done, and then you also have a deadline to say, all right, this is when these need to be delivered by, so you know what and you know when, you mm-hmm. can figure out how, and mm-hmm. the company culture would have established why. Versus, you know, anything else which can be vague gonna have some back and forth. Cal Newport, as this book comes to mind, Cal Newport wrote a book, um, Deep Work, where he mentioned that a lot of organizations, and they don't even track this cost, have become um, routers, very expensive routers, meaning that most employees spend most of the day routing messages. So they go to email every five minutes, read yeah. and reply, and it's... <laughs> so what you're saying is really beautiful. I want to put it to you though because you sparked my interest in something where you mentioned um, the person who was basically a therapist at this stage business is pers- is not personal and um business is personal you hear variations of these depending on the situation i just i don't want to go left or right to say business is personal or business is not personal well i want you to give me your opinion on that as the hr person and if you have a personal opinion that might differ from the hr's perspective then please share that with us as well
1: yeah so i i kind of put it this way you know a good boss comes in in the morning and they check on their employees on Monday morning. Hey, how was your weekend? How's it all going? This, that, and the other. And it's not that he really cares deeply about what you had for Sunday supper, but it's kind of like a temperature check of the flock. You know, as shepherds of people, we want to, you know, check behind the ears, you know, make sure they're in good condition before the flock kind of goes out for the day, because it is our job as management to create the highest level of productivity, and you're not going to get that if someone in your herd is wounded, um, you know. So that's that's kind of you know. Is it personal? Yes, we're human beings, and we're really on this journey together, right? We're all walking ourselves to the grave. No one needs to take anything too seriously. Um, kindness is important, uh, but at the end of the day. In the world of business, we do have certain goals that need to be met, but you can't—you know—you um, can't take the personal aspect out of human beings. Um, you can, you can automate, you can create systems and processes, but at the end of the day, if you're employing human beings, there's going to be a personal kind of side to it. And you'll be sadly mistaken if you think that you can ever take the personality out of humans and there they'll always have an impact of the culture we you know we all have our own motivations and our fears and our backgrounds and and things like that so um, you know so that's what a good manager does is they kind of check the flock but a, an amazing manager they really know the story of their their flock they know when they were born they know where they were brought up they know what what snacks that they like the most, and what you know areas that they really accelerate in, what areas cause them angst or concern or discomfort. They know who they are. They can see them. You know, you can have a hundred sheep on a field, and you can tell by their gait, by the way they walk, by the way they turn. You you know them, right? And that's what excellent management does. Is they know the motivating factors in the personality of the overall person, not just are they good enough to get to work and how efficient can I push them today? I was recently on another podcast and he said that he would literally as a young man, really, um, before he found out what servant leadership was, he would push his people literally till tears. That's when he knew that he had gotten the most out of them is when they had finally broke. And and he goes, Okay, well now I know now what their what their limit is, you know. Um wow. and it was just kind of like, ouch. And the Lord really Ooh. stung his heart on that and he shifted now to this servant leadership. And he had lost many good people and burned out a lot of really good people along the way. And we all know what turnover mm-hmm. is is like. So um. It's not about getting the most out of your employees right now today, you know, on this project for this season, on the next quarter. You know, you mentioned Simon Sinek, that infinite game. You know, what are we playing here? What legacy are we leaving? Who cares about this quarter's numbers if they're all crying in the back room? Like that doesn't that's not the legacy that I wanna leave to my people. I wanna leave a legacy of when I was suffering, she came alongside of me and assisted me. When I was going through a divorce, you know, she was able to accommodate my work schedule and, and keep me on and keep me employed through these tough seasons um, of life. So it is personal um, and employers have a, a corporate burden. I think a societal burden to treat their people well. Because if you're miserable at work, it doesn't make you a better spouse. It denigrates your ability to be an amazing parent. You're not able to serve your community out of a place of fullness. You're exhausted and you're broken, and people are just getting what's left over out of the squeezed out <laughs> pulp that the employer has done. So, it's a long game. It isn't, it isn't about the short game. It's really about like, how long can I keep my people? Because there's so much value in tenure that I think a lot of companies don't necessarily realize. They treat people like widgets.
0: You, 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 you hit the nail on the head. I weep, but I re- rejoice for that one particular person who only knew that he had achieved enough from his employees when they cried. That's brutal. And it's reality, but thankfully he has learned better. You know, the thing that you mentioned that, um, two points. The first point is that when I asked about business is personal or business is not personal, because I've heard both really. Mm -hmm. What I'm hearing is that it's personally business, if I can put it that way. And what I mean by that is it is business, but at the core of the business, it's people. And Mm -hmm. people are personal. So in a respectable boundary, develop relationships mm. that keep people fueled engaged motivated, and then from there business will be business but if you treat them like um numbers on a spreadsheet right. that's all business and no personal and you're gonna have a problem and mm-hmm. if it's all personal then you become more a little therapist friend with hug sessions and the light like, and nowhere work gets done so a delicate well, balance
1: yeah if you treat them transactionally then the competition can steal them by just offering them more money But if you treat them personally and you have a relationship with them, there's no amount of money that will lead them out the door and and disown that loyalty that you've created between them.
0: And again, um, How to Win Friends and Influence People. Guys, if you have not read that book, go ahead and read it. Servant Leadership. And this is biblical. Uh, This is what Jesus did. He was the leader, but he served his disciples, washing the feet and stuff like that. Servant Leadership first... My first um, interaction with servant leadership was in uh, Napoleon Hill's Think and Grow Rich, which I think is yeah. from the 1930s. It's been around for a while. What has not happened, though, is it's not highly publicized. In my space, at least, I haven't heard much about it. I had to read that book to learn about servant mm. leadership. Can you tell us about effective servant leadership practice, if this is indeed your preferred way of leadership, if it is actually. It,
1: it really is. And it's what I, I strive towards every single day. Just a, a little bit ago, we had our Monday morning meeting. And it's not my Monday morning meeting isn't really to tell people what to do for the week. It is to kind of do that temperature check on the flock. What can I give you? What can I provide to you? Tools, resources, education or support? That'll allow you to ex- excel in your position. Um, and I, I'm not a micromanager uh, that way. I love that you said you know, you leave the how up to them. I don't care how they get it done, if it's moral in, in legal and profitable, <laughs> let's, let's Please. do it. Let's try it. You know, that's the entrepreneurship in me. You meet those three standards and and let's give it a go. Sometimes it's a win. And sometimes it's like, oh, that's not, that's not going to work. And that's not going to move forward.
0: Well, um, at least we know.
1: Yeah. Yeah. We, we just got back from our um, annual corporate retreat and I rented a beautiful um, lakeside home um,
0: yeah, for that's a our lot of employees
1: value. to come and stay. And I was talking to one of my clients, and she's like, You're going to live with your employees for, and, and mm. cook for them? Are you crazy? Like, sure, to her, that just sounded like a special thing of torture. Um, but to me, to be able to wake up in the morning and slide out the bedroom door, go out by the pool on the lake and, and do a Bible study together corporately as, as a company and just really have those fun conversations about how Christ has impacted our life and, and hear from their heart how, how the company has been a blessing to them and has allowed them to serve their family and their, their priorities in their life well. Not that we're not making money and working hard um, when we certainly get to have fun, but it's a blessing to me to be able to show up and have that kind of relationship and be that kind of boss. Right. Where we're comfortable uh, sitting in our jammies and eating breakfast and drinking coffee with each other. Uh, I think that level of. relationship with your employees is is rarely found and all week I cooked meals for scratch from scratch for them fresh rolled out pasta bread made from scratch sauces you know that that were you know freshly made from from vegetables and stuff so I have a vegan team member so I had to had to make some accommodations and things like that so just showing up for them and making those accommodations in a way that shows them that I see them and I care about them. Um, we talk about this annual retreat all year long. Uh, we really look forward to it. So that's kind of how I demonstrate my, my style of servant leadership.
0: Sounds a lot like it's a big family. And let me tell you who came to mind that has done this successfully. Perhaps not. If they've definitely done it to that degree as well. There is a gentleman, an economist, world-renowned, very, very famous, actually. His name is Ray Dalio. When he started his company, Bridgewater, what he did was he started a company at his house, and the kids and his wife and everyone grew up with staff members. No one left. Private hedge fund, the largest private hedge fund in the world, and uh, I don't know. There's something about this kind of leadership style that isn't popular but it is so effective because i want people to think about this you have a boss that has invited you to let's say a vacation home with a lake a pool in the morning you guys are not working you know because you think that you're on a work retreat so you're working 24 7 no you're having coffee by the pool talking about what god has done for you let's say you're not a christian and you can listen and perhaps say, oh you know perhaps in this instance god was working you have freshly prepared meals by your boss, mind you, and it's just a really good bonding experience. When it's time for work, everyone gets work done. Mm -hmm. That sounds like the place you want to spend 40 hours at least per week because we have to realize as employers, as entrepreneurs, you see, whenever we hire someone and they come and work with us, we might pay them for eight hours per day, but they might be gone from their families for 10 or 12, you know, between Mm. traveling, getting ready, and perhaps staying overtime a few times. So to give them a positive environment, I love what you've done. What would you say are some of the positive effects that you've noticed because of this style of leadership that you've been practicing?
1: I think the the biggest thing is when I do have to have disciplinary conversations, they know Mm -hmm. it's from a place of me wanting the best. For them, mm-hmm. and not out of a place of um, woundedness or intent. anger or anything like that, and so it's so well received. Um, and uh, so, I think that's the the biggest thing is there really isn't discipline that goes on in our organization. It's all just kind of pivoting and rerouting, and in, in better understanding policies and procedures. It makes it super easy because the the level of trust is so high.
0: Mm-hmm sounds sounds um sounds ideal very quickly let's say someone is listening they're listening they have a business they run a company they don't have loyalty from their um clients well not clients Mm -hmm. their employees so Mm -hmm. pilferage is common time stealing is common showing up late leaving early doing the bare minimum to get by you know all the the, uh, symptoms of a toxic work environment what do you recommend that they just start doing today, you know, ensure that you're doing these two or three things. And then from there, perhaps they can get in contact with you because you have a business that's in HR, correct? Yes. Yes. So like before they even get to you, what are some of the two or three things that they can do to get some quick wins? And after they've done those things, let's say that they want to work with you. They would like to consult with you or something. They want to reach and get in contact with you at least. And then see if there's an opportunity. How do they go about those two things, please? Yeah,
1: absolutely. I think the the first step to turning the ship is setting the standard for how how you want things to be excellent. I rarely see employees that take advantage of honest, organic, you know authentic leaders. Uh, typically, I truly believe that people are more good than bad. They, they aren't all out to get away with some things. Some bosses think that if you're not watching them like a hawk, they'll slip out the back door on you 15 minutes before the shift ends. Well, the only people that I've ever seen do that is with toxic bosses. So first, you need to take a, a heart check of yourself and make sure you are not contributing to this toxicity that you're always behaving in a high ethical standard, that you're not ripping off your customers, you're not overcharging for things because your employees see how you do business and then they'll they'll do what's, what's the company norm. Second, yes. to change the company culture is if your heart is in the right place and you do feel like you're an excellent leader, um, spend time with them they just might not know your heart because you haven't broken bread with them in a while. You haven't spent that one-on-one time with them. Um, We recently were working with a local nonprofit. They had called, um, after a very emotional outburst in a company-wide meeting. There was screaming, there was crying, there was literal finger pointing. People were taking off their jackets in anger and kind of like stepping up Getting to people ready. like, well, what are you gonna do about it? And so they contacted me and she was like, this has gotten out of control. What what wow. am I going to do about this? And I asked her, I said, well, when these people were acting so poorly, what did you do? She said, I just sat there like just shocked. And I just figured I would let them get it all out. And I said, you've got 80 employees and you allowed your other employees to be abused by this one person for acting poorly. You should have stopped that meeting. No one is going to talk to my employees like that. No one is going to act so poorly with an audience like this. You were not a good shepherd. You did not protect them. And so everything kind of disintegrated from there. Mm -hmm. And and that's kind of how we came in. So what did we do? We came in and we said, what is effective communication? Because finger pointing, Mm -hmm. raising our voice, crying hysterically is not effective communication. That will not be allowed. It will not be tolerated. What are better ways that we can do things? And so we we brought in some training sessions and then we held accountability. And the ones that were toxic and ugly would either leave by their own accord because they don't like all this accountability. Usually toxic people don't. They want to control and manipulate the situation <laughs> or through the accountability holding will will elect them to to leave the organization and then you've gotten rid of the toxicity and you can you can pull the team kind of back together um because that's what your best people want to see your best people want to be protected and know that you're the kind of leader that will make the hard decisions that will hold the accountability that will say no we will not be doing this this is not our highest and best you must go now because you're hurting my people This organization has been around for 40 years. You're not going to disrupt an organization that has been around this long. We have been here before you and we will be here after you. And too many manipulating employees think that if they just play this little game, that they'll Mm -hmm. get what they want or the company will fail. Well, no, no, it won't. Everyone is replaceable. Even CEOs and founders as we've seen in history are replaceable. Mm
0: -hmm. And I love what you said. Um, you mentioned, you mentioned that this company has been here for 40 years. It was here before you and will be here after you. And then you also mentioned that, um, a lot of manipulative and deceptive employees will think that if they play this little game, then they will get away with it and the company will fail. And the reason why I want to highlight this is because we need to realize that not everyone has our best interests at heart and Mm -hmm. some people do want to see you fail. perhaps it's even a person you're breaking bread with so if you see certain behavior right there are certain behaviors that you just don't tolerate one of the things that ticks me off you know like i can go from zero to, to really angry real quick at this is if i see someone talking down to someone and belittling someone and taking advantage of them I get so upset about that. The thing about it, I don't even try to stop myself from getting angry because I'm like, no, this is something that just should not be pardoned. It shouldn't happen. So I love everything that you said. Now, let's say that I am the terrible boss right here. I was not receptive to my employees. I have not been solving problems. Well, I've been criticizing openly. I haven't been praising much, mind you. I have been working them to the bones and... uh, Wow, I can see the end of the company in line. Please don't let my company die. How do I now get in contact with you? What does your company do? That can help me, the terrible boss at the stage, and what's the process like?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Thank you for asking. So mm-hmm. we are a fractional HR company and everything starts and falls with leadership. So we go
0: in Wait, 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 to, please. Let me yes. interrupt you, please. Fractional HR before fractional you go on. This- yeah. yeah, just please explain what fractional HR mean. I just about 10 days ago learned about fractional CMOs. So just oh, please yeah. so everyone understands it. Yeah, understand what fractional HR is, and then you can continue, please.
1: Absolutely. It's it's kind of the same concept. So we come in director level, high level, but on a part-time yeah. basis. And we can come in yeah. for a long-term and and guide the company year after year, being that strategic yeah. HR um mind behind the business because, you know, businesses can't grow without really great people and processes and systems and accountability and all that. Because a lot of small businesses, you know, they, there is no HR manager. You're lucky to have an office manager, um, you know, that's kind of running the business, but they're not trained on legality of things and systems and processes and payroll and, you know, all of those different things. So, We come in uh, on a part time basis. We start out with leadership and we ask them, Mr. Bad Boss, like, why are you what are you feeling? What are you experiencing? What is the payout? Right. Because he wouldn't be acting this way if it wasn't working in some type of fashion. And you can certainly rule with fear um, successfully for a certain amount of time. But at the end of the day, the long game. I don't really think that those those companies last, and those companies really thrive. They may be profitable, yeah. but they're not thriving internally. Um, yeah. I think the a good example of amazing leadership is leadership that can step away. And, and actually take vacations. A lot of these people, they come to me and they say, oh, I'm, I'm working, I'm grinding, I'm working these 12, 14 hours because I got to keep the wheel turning. Well, if you as a leader have to keep your own wheel turning, you're not doing your Problem. job well. You know you're doing your job well when you can step away and the team knows how to do their job without the oversight of of ownership or, or leadership. So, okay. Figuring out, working with them and, and figuring out where their heart is, how they've been managed in the past. What was their like childhood like? Because oftentimes many of those toxic employers were raised in abusive childhood homes. And That's if cool. we can kind of discover what the root of this anger, um, this trust, usually toxic work environments have very low levels of trust. They don't think people are doing their job if you're not right over their shoulder cracking the whip and, and making sure that they do that. Well, that might be because the people in their life that were supposed to nurture and protect them, their parents didn't. Maybe those people were abusive to them. So how can my own mother won't even love and protect me? How are my employees supposed to love and respect me? They've got to be out to get me, too. So there is a little bit of therapy-esque involved in, in kind of discovering what that is. Like like you we try to introduce them to great books. You know, uh, I'm not going to say that I know everything about leadership, but there are some amazing literatures out there on how yeah. to change our heart, how to change our style. And at a minimum, if we can't change the heart quickly, we can at least give you the right tools and tasks to be doing that will that will guide you along that way. So, um, kind of starting with with that and being a soundboard for those leaders because oftentimes on the opposite end of toxicity there's there's kind of two levels right so there's that uninvolved uneducated clueless boss who has no idea how to do your job yet they constantly <laughs> lord over you like they do know how to do it better And then there's another type of toxicity that exists in over being overly intimate or involved with your employees. You know, you turn into friends and you go drinking in the evenings and you tell, you know, your employees what's going on in your marriage, or you complain about your children to your employees and you kind of show yourself in a, in a less than flattering light. Right. And then that creates a certain toxicity. You shouldn't be discussing some things with your employees, you do need to have that buffer of professionalism there. So they're either completely clueless with no relationship or they're on the opposite end and they're too overly close with you. And then, you know, with that familiarity, you kind of lose some respect and and whatnot when you hear the ins and outs of some of their personal business. So kind of tailoring them in and giving those healthy boundaries healthy boundaries can really help a lot of business strategies move forward much quickly than they would if there's constant mistrust or backbiting or concern or, you know, it's just so much easier just to know what to do and how to do it rather than being concerned about the why behind every little decision that your management team is making.
0: It's, um, is that a process I'm hearing And you're also highlighting some important things because I heard you mentioned the childhood traumas that can be involved. One of the things that we need to understand is the way that we perceive, and there's an episode coming out with um, Dr. John James Santangelo, where we Mm -hmm. speak about just how your childhood affects how you view the world, your perceived biases. And apparently 90% of the things you do are from the subconscious and what dictates the subconscious, your core beliefs and values. So, you know, if you can just get to the core of that and understand what's causing the issue, you might even realize that your toxic boss is, well, not bosses, but your toxic boss is wounded. And he, he knows that he needs help. But he just doesn't know how to trust anyone or how to ask for it. And that's that's the real thing. So a bit of compassion, empathy, as um, Gary Vaynerchuk would put it, that would go far away. Mm-hmm. So how do they even get in contact with you? Do you have a website, email, phone number? How does this work?
1: Yep, absolutely. Our, our website is simply the best. It's a little play on words. It's my last name, um, mm-hmm. the best.com. Mm-hmm. And we have, uh, since we serve both employers and job seekers, we kind of have a tab for each. So if you're a business owner, that's looking to strategize and sit down and say, you know, I just don't feel like my company is at its best we can come in and do a self-discovery thing. We start off with them and then we, we really like to go around and, and talk to all the employees as well because a boss can go to an employee and say, what do you like? What do you not like? They're not going to tell you the truth. Um, but a third party outside person, they might be able to do that. So we come in, we do that self-discovery and then we just make a plan um, for, for how to move forward. You can also find us all over social media. All of our handles are at simply the best um, mm-hmm. We have our own podcast, Hiring Happy Humans, Ooh. and we have amazing people and leaders on that that talk about different um, hiring and firing situations, what amazing employees look like, how they identify amazing employees, and. Um, And then also share some of their horror stories as well, because, uh, you know, even God couldn't control man. At the end of the day, we have free will and uh, we get to choose what we do and we don't control anyone. So we want to make sure that we're bringing in. Um, diverse yet like-minded uh, people to where we have a, a think tank of different backgrounds, but still with the same kind of heart and accordance of driving the mission
0: forward. Core values, really, yeah. Right. You're right, and, and the point where you say that God didn't try to control us, I mean, he could, but he just didn't because he wants right. to give us um, free reign. That's like saying, I could get you to do what I want you to do by force, but right. I'm going to allow you to do what you should do by love, and that's that's powerful in leadership. You mentioned um oh by the way, I like the name simply the best. That's um that's that's pretty nice.
1: Tina Turner was the queen.
0: <laughs> can I tell you? Um you mentioned um books. I always so my favorite place to be, believe it or not, is not the restaurant, it's actually the bookstore. I just love the books. I love books. Love them, love them, love them. There are several mm-hmm. right here. And I always see leadership leadership books from I believe his name is John C. Maxwell. Um, What are some of the better leadership books that we should start um, reading? And you mentioned your podcast. There's a person that I'd like to recommend for your podcast. I'm just going to tell you right now. Um, Nikki Senior, she spent over 10 years in recruitment. And she even told an interesting story of how a candidate applied for a job at a franchise that she started by researching her company, researching who was responsible for the job and the job post and so on. So I, I would like to recommend her, but we can talk after the podcast about connecting Absolutely. with her and stuff like that. So how can they, the listeners here today um, find your podcast? I will link it in the description. I'll put the name on screen, but you can tell them right away. And some of the books that you recommend, the better books on leadership that yeah. you recommend.
1: Um Yeah, so you can find Hiring Happy Humans on Apple, Spotify, uh, and linked on our website and our media page as well. I do take stage Mm -hmm. quite often as a public speaker, Um, so we have all that in one one easy spot right there on our website. I think one of my favorite books, oh, it's actually right here. Okay, It's such an easy read. It's called The Go-Giver by Bob Berg and um, John Mann. Mm -hmm. Uh, it's like a parable. It's, it's super short, but as a leader and entrepreneur and salesperson, it really changed my heart on, on a lot of stuff. So I think this one is excellent. Um, also the book, uh, traction, I think is a really good book. It's more systems and processes oriented, but it does have some good leadership principles, um, in there. And, um, I'm trying to think what else I'm a feverish reader is as well. But my downfall is, is I I read it all and it's up in my noggin somewhere, but then sighting them off. And then of course the Bible is, is the Holy grail of, of servant leadership. Matthew's 20, um, is one of my favorite, uh, parables, the parable of the vineyard worker. Um, but there's just so much to be said on having a sacrificial attitude, um, when it comes to leadership. Uh, And I think it really goes a long way.
0: That's true. I also think um, Start With Why by Simon Sinek. Yeah. Um, Yeah. Brene Brown
1: has some amazing things and some great thoughts about that. You know, she talks a lot Mm -hmm. about trauma and abuse and and stuff. And one thing that I've I've said for quite some time now, I'm in the middle of writing my own book on parentification. Mm -hmm. And um, if we think that our childhood trauma clocks out, when we clock in, we're sadly mistaken, you know, and kind of like you you said before that wounded boss and, and really having empathy and compassion to someone who seems to be this big, mean jerk. Well, he didn't get that way because he was well-loved and cared for, Um, you know, and Brene says this thing, um, just like, just so let them, you know, like let people be the way that they are. So many people want to, make a change or an impact and stuff but you know sometimes the biggest impact we can have on on someone's life is just allowing them to be who they are and then we choose Mm -hmm. what we do with ourselves in the situation Mm -hmm. um sometimes that that includes removing ourselves
0: yeah that's um that's powerful you know the thing that i love about your approach i love that you use practical examples and real life situations to tell a story I can see that you're a public speaker because you just grab attention and tell a story and lead us on a journey. And when you're there, you're like, Oh, yeah, that, that was, uh, that was beautiful. That's really nice. I want to ask about, um, your religious beliefs. I know that in business, I say, Oh, businessman. Well, we're going to do it. So what are your religious beliefs and how did your religious belief? or have your religious beliefs shaped how you go about leadership? Because I yeah. can't see. So, so for
1: me, the, one of the reasons why parentification is so important to me is because of my own um, childhood and upbringing. Both of my parents struggled with um, substance abuse and um, alcoholism. And it was really hard. I think mental health issues is, is what kind of got them you know, misusing drugs and alcohol to begin with. And um, what my mom did give me was a really beautiful example on how Christ can impact your life. So when she was sober, we were often in church and life was really easy and things were good. But when she would relapse as a way to keep that from other people, we would, we would, retract ourselves from society almost, and then things were bad and we weren't around people and God wasn't present in our home. So God has certainly had a huge impact in my life and in my upbringing. She gave me a beautiful example of when you're you're living without sin, because life is kind of simple, right? We can just enjoy the garden and eat the fruit and hang out all day and name animals. But as soon as that sin kind of enters our life, Things get complicated and woundedness happens and offense occurs and, and things like that. So um, so for a long time, I was a churchgoer and I didn't really have that personal relationship with Christ. But it was, it was a few years ago that God really showed up for me in a really big way. And he's the one who gave me this vision for this company I thought it was going to be a little bit different, running alongside of an old company that I was I was with at the time. We had kind of paralleling um, um, interests, but come to find out, it ended up being my everything, and and it was it was just a God given dream that he had provided to me, and um, so he's. He's in in my life on a daily basis. I like to joke that he's the CEO of the company. I just show up and say yes and try to be a blessing to other folks. Uh, We really don't have like a strong sales plan around here. How we do our business development is we go out in the community and we volunteer our time and we serve and we take stage and we feed the hungry and we show up for people who are in crisis, whether that's um, twice a month I go into our local jail And I speak to our women who are are incarcerated about employability and how to stand on their own two feet and provide for themselves. Um, I'm a big believer in second chance employment. And so it's amazing how in HR, right, we're not supposed to talk about God and religion and, and Christ in the workplace, but you can't damper that light. I don't have to say his name for him to be present. I really hope that my company is so infused with the Holy spirit that we do do business. It is obvious that that we're different and set apart. It's, it's a narrow path, and it's supposed to be.
0: Um, entering into the straight yeah. gates for broad is the way, and wide is the gate that leaded unto hell and destruction. Yes. Straight is the way. We know the scripture. You know. You know what I, I like about the story. You're saying that this is my story. This is who I am, and this is mm. who what has made me who I am, and. Your company is built on that, that foundation, that identity, that uniqueness and those core values, those beliefs. I mean, no one should feel the need to fight against that. But I'm gonna ask you a potential potentially tricky question. You are a Christian, you are open about your beliefs as much as I can tell. Perhaps you don't just you don't mm-hmm. shove them in others' face, but if someone asks you're obliged to answer. Mm-hmm. I mean, all right, so I'm from Jamaica, mm-hmm. LGBTQIA+. I really don't know the acronym, but that's, um sector of race and racism and the creed and stuff like that, they aren't very popular topics in Jamaica. Not that we don't address them, but they aren't really at the forefront of discussion. So to say I'm ignorant to the brevity of many of these things is to say a little of how little I know, really. The reason why I bring this up is because I am running an international business and I will have international clients, international employees and stuff like that. My question is, I'm not going to ask you to teach me the do's and the don'ts and all of that. I'm just trying to understand what the picture is like in terms of how we got here to the point that we have to say only merit alone should decide If we hire someone, now we know company culture fit and stuff like that will play a role, right? So if somebody, um, they don't like golf and another person like golf and it's a golfing office, then you probably want to hire the person who likes golf. But how do we even get here where we have to tell people that you should value people for who they are and not for their stories and stuff like that, if you know?
1: Yeah, um, I'm not sure I fully grasp the question.
0: Yeah, like why is it- Could you reframe it for me? Yeah. Why is it necessary to stipulate by law that we shouldn't be racist or we shouldn't um, right. def- um, deny someone employment because of their beliefs and so on? Why? How do you even get here? If it's even possible to add to that, that perhaps needs research. Yeah. That,
1: really. I mean, that. Right. That I mean, racism and prejudice have been around since biblical times. I mean, you read the Bible and there's a different sex of people and, and you know, whatnot. So it, it has been around since the beginning of time. But none of that will change without without hearts changing. And it's unfortunate, but laws do exist to just make us act better, right? But it doesn't change the heart. So we can certainly try to create rules and and programs and laws to kind of guide people to the fairness that, you know, uh, justice for all, you know, here in in America, but at the same time, you'll never be able to litigate out the hearts of man, you know, so you can have as many laws as you want, but a racist will be a racist. A bigot will be a bigot. It doesn't matter. It, it, you know, you can't, you can't legislate that out. Um, but I do think that it is society's attempt um, to try to make it a better place, or at least say this is not tolerable, and and if you are caught, there are consequences. And I think that's the that's the best we can do outside of really having a ra- radical change of, of heart. We live in a fallen world; hate exists, right, sin exists, and that's that's a part of this earthly experience. So you'll never you'll never create laws that that change society that way.
0: You can only. Account for the evil in man and try to prepare for it or try to reduce it. You're right because I mean I'm from Jamaica. It's not like Jamaica is a bed of roses anyway, so it's not like I'm unfamiliar with evil being done anyway. So mm-hmm. I guess you're right. We I'd like to ask you how did you enjoy your time on the boardroom podcast today?
1: It's been lovely. You've asked really interesting questions. I I enjoy being on the other side of an interview. Usually I'm the one asking the questions.
0: Oh yeah. From your podcast, that's nice. And um, given your experience on the Boardroom podcast today, what would you say or who would you say is one guest that you would like to see on the podcast in the future? And for this one guest, we're going to invite them, try to have them on. What is one question you would like us to ask this guest so they can answer it for you? Mm. Mm.
1: How do you go about apologizing when you've made a mistake?
0: You're You're asking me? How, no, or, no, I,
1: I think that would be a great question for the next, um, for the next guest. So who do I think the next guest should be? Oh, gracious.
0: Yeah. Who would you like uh, to be see on the podcast? And we'll ask them this question.
1: Okay. Yeah. Oh, mm. I know so many amazing leaders that would be, that would be honored to, to come on. Um,
0: I say you get Simon, work Simon work Sinek
1: work. on here. Why not?
0: Yeah. Yes. Simon Sinek <laughs> for sure. Second yeah. person who was recommended, Simon. Definitely <laughs> love to have him on. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Simon nice.
1: um, but I would be nice. But I would say that maybe um, LaTondra uh, and Briston Heaven, uh, they are the Central Florida Christian Chamber of Commerce presidents, and mm-hmm. they have some amazing careers and a, a great... Um, insight on what it's like to be in marketplace ministry.
0: Oh, interesting. Latandra and?
1: Briston. Briston's from Jamaica, actually, as well. Really? Ironically enough, I, I didn't even think of him for that reason, but he is. Wow. He right. says prayer, kind of funny. Every time he says it, I was uh, late.
0: <laughs> that's, that's like, That's Rar. what I'm so I'm not going to say it. I'm Rar. not going to say it. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not going to say it. I'm not going to say it because you're going to yeah. laugh they absolutely say okay.
1: amazing, um, amazing leaders and um, really mm-hmm. biblically sound and well-versed in that. And they've had great successes. Um, so I, I think they would be great guests.
0: Okay. That sounds good. So I'll definitely reach out to them. We'll invite them on. And I will ask them, how do you go about apologizing after you've made a mistake? And that's critical. I would like to thank you for coming on to the Boardroom Podcast today. I'd like to thank you for your time. You have been wonderful, exceptional. Oh, I, I had a good time. Good. And um, in the future, we'd love to have you on for a panel discussion. And oh. we'll reach out to you about that if it's something you'd like to be a part of.
1: Fantastic. Thank you so much.
0: Cheers.